0: Welcome to episode number 12 on the My Story Podcast. The My Story Podcast features interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell us their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, my name's Conrad Weaver, and I'm your host for the show. I'm a filmmaker, entrepreneur, storyteller, and I'm always looking forward to my next film project. The trouble is, these projects require funding, raising money, connecting with investors or sponsors. It's a part of the process. Maybe you're an entrepreneur and have faced these same challenges, the challenges of raising money to create your own business. Well, if so, you're going to enjoy this episode of the My Story Podcast. On the show today is Judy Robinette. Judy is a startup funding expert, a super connector. She's a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and an investor. She's had more than 30 years of experience as an investor and an entrepreneur and a corporate leader. Judy has recently released a new book called Crack the Funding Code, How Investors Think and What They Need to Hear to Fund Your Startup. And Today, she's right here on the My Story podcast, so stay tuned. Furnace Hills Coffee Company roasts amazing coffee. They have a great story too. I'll tell you, once you drink a cup of coffee from Furnace Hills, I promise you'll never want coffee from the big name brands again. Why? Their beans are sourced directly from great farmers and it's roasted fresh. You order it today and you'll get coffee beans that have been roasted this week, maybe even the same day that it's shipped to your door. The other cool thing about Furnace Hills Coffee Company that I love is their mission is to employ people with developmental disabilities. Their chief roaster is Erin. She has Down syndrome and even has a coffee blend named after her. And just for the My Story podcast listeners, when you order from furnacehillscoffee.com, use the coupon code MYSTORY, all one word, and get 25% off your order. Check it out. It's special coffee roasted by special people. FurnaceHillsCoffee.com. And now here's my interview with Judy Robinette. So Judy Robinette, welcome to the My Story podcast. Thank you so much for uh, coming by and uh, joining us today.
1: I'm just delighted to be here. Thank you.
0: So, you know, I think we were introduced by a mutual friend a couple of years ago when I was working on one of my previous films, Thirsty Land. And I believe Jenny, uh, Jennifer Abernethy introduced you to me. Yes. And so how do you and Jennifer know each other?
1: Uh, oh, my gosh. Um, I can't remember who introduced me to to Jennifer. It could have been Sam Horn uh, who's a well-known author on branding. And, um, I, I worked with her initially because when I did my first book, you know, how to be a power connector, McGraw-Hill said to me, Judy, you need to build a platform. And and I was, I was so naive, Conrad, I had to ask what, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) So Jennifer's
0: great. So tell me a little bit about who you are and what do you do?
1: Well, who am I? You know, I'm, I'm sitting here in Franklin, Idaho. If anyone saw the movie Napoleon Dynamite, Um, Got it. My my kids love that. My kids
0: (laughs) love that movie. And they actually call me, they say, I kind of look like Napoleon Dynamite. And occasionally, I guess I do. I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and I started life kind of as a social worker, but, you know, couldn't stand to see any more abused kids and got Mm. a master's and went into a couple of Fortune 50 corporations and... Um, happened to be giving a, a speech at MIT to women engineers on power, and uh, somebody handed me a Wall Street Journal, and it said, here's five ways to become financially independent, you know, be a doctor, a lawyer inherit it, marry it. And I thought, well, those are out. <laughs> but number five was start a business. And I went, well, how hard could it be? Well, hmm. I found out I got a $1.2 million SBA loan and started um, a franchise restaurant. And at one point thought I was you know, going to lose everything, wow. went to a bankruptcy attorney, just terrified. And he said, "You're not close," and I said, "But I'm broke." And he said, "Judy, they can break you, but they can't eat you." Mm. And, and that was a terrific bit of wisdom. I turned uh, that around, sold it, started working with with other companies, became CEO of a public biotech for about ten years, and then was asked by a super angel investor if I would vet this unknown little company out of Park City called Skull Candy. Um, And and I became very enamored. They went public a couple of years ago for just under a half a billion, and uh, I became an angel investor. Um, I continue to work with entrepreneurs around the world. I just helped bring a company from Belgrade um, over to New York City and the company's doing really well and so you know I love to educate and mm. um, love to make things happen honestly Conrad there's nothing mm. funner for me than someone to tell me they can't figure something out and you know my, my little challenge, antenna, right? <laughs> yeah my little antenna goes up and I'm like out of my way I'm going for it
0: so. <laughs> do you think that's kind of part of the entrepreneurial spirit that some of us have.
1: Yes, I, I I really do think that, you know, I would get nauseous thinking about going to work, you know, oh Sunday, Sunday evening, <laughs> I thought it thought I would die. And when I found the world of entrepreneurism, I just felt like I just snuggled in, you know, up to this big, soft bear and was yeah. right at home. <laughs> right.
0: You know, a couple of actually a while back, I was, you know, going through kind of a tough phase in my business. And, you know, you always get to thinking, well, what if I just go back working for the man? Or, or the woman yeah. and I'm, and I was like, no,
1: no, no, no. way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And yeah.
0: So, I mean, I love being an entrepreneur. It, it has its perks. It has its downside as well, but, uh, and yeah, you know, it's, well, but,
1: I- and I'll tell you so you know the, the restaurant was great fun we did over a, a million annually and uh, when we first opened the restaurant you know we had lines around the block and, and mm. they lost our safe uh, oh, no. shipping it to us and so I was putting bags of cash in the trunk of my old Cordoba
0: <laughs> oh wow and
1: uh, at one point I figured I had 70000 $90,000 and I remember looking at that going why did I work for another company <laughs> and then you know Rich dad, poor dad came out and and I had been trained, you know, you if you work for other people, you help make them rich. And it turns Mm. out in the United States, our education system was set up like it was in in Prussia uh, initially. And it's teach people to be a good soldier and a good employee. Mm. And and I'm just thrilled we have, you know, Shark Tank and all of the education we do now for entrepreneurs, because I really believe this is the number one way we change the world is with startups.
0: You know, and that's so important because, you know, so many people have so many amazing ideas. Yeah. You know, and if you can take that idea and I actually did a talk here recently at our community college and I, and I kind of with the premise of, you know, how do you get to where you want to go? And I kind of said, you know, if you have an idea, you know, everything that exists, everything that we see that man, that people have made, was once an idea.
1: Yep, absolutely. And everything. And Clayton Christensen has a wonderful new book out called The Prosperity Paradox. And he talks about the trillions of dollars of aid that's been given to third world countries. And, you know, today, decades later, they're worse off than they were before. And the, the top-down method doesn't work, but the bottom-up, mm. the entrepreneurs, uh, you know, does. And I remember Ronald Reagan saying, you know, someone asked him, are you, are you optimistic about the future? And and he said, yes, there's, there's no high end to creativity or innovation.
0: Hmm. Wow. So you have been creative and you've written a number of books. And I'm holding in my hot little hands your newest book called Crack the Funding Code. Thank you, by the way, for sending it to me. Sure. Uh, I haven't had a chance to read the entire book yet, but I'm diving into it and I'm loving what I'm reading so far. And I wanted to kind of dive into the first, actually chapter two. And so to just kind of give our listeners just an overview of the book, what it's about and, and why you decided to write this book.
1: Yeah, so Conrad, I had to write this book. I've been an angel investor for 20 plus years. I sit on VC boards. Uh, I help funds um, get their funding, plus uh, entrepreneurs, and and I was pretty horrified that everywhere I went around the United States, I, I would meet really bright. Folks that had solid ideas that that I thought would be fundable and they could not figure out how to find an investor. Hmm. Uh, And so I wrote the book to kind of demystify the process and, and teach people, you know, who are the different kind of investors from family offices to corporate VCs, which, by the way, there's more of those than regular VCs. And to you know, shed some light, as, as um, Jack Welch would say, get better reality. So we just hit $100 billion being invested by VCs. There's 50 billion by angels. Uh, we don't know yet on on family offices because they're the newest player and, and we don't have a lot of research. But you know, in the world, there's 279 trillion of private wealth, and this is that family and friends. So I wanted to say who the people are, dispel the myth that there's no money out there, and assure people that your problem, lack of funding, is somebody else's solution. and and every problem in life is somebody else's solution so for the investor who is kind of desperate trying to figure out you know how is somebody going to give me money uh all of the investors know you need money and their solution is let us find a great deal and Mm. and that's what they need uh they live and die by deal flow and so my book is really how you set yourself apart as a high potential a startup and, and I'll just say number one is be clear on your exit strategy and ninety-five percent of those are strategic sell strategic exits because investors want their money back mm, and then sure. you need to mitigate risk as viewed by the investor. so you have to view the customer your your investor as as a customer and, and then I talk about you know how you need to come across as a as a entrepreneur. I talk about the three mm. C's that we can go into um And really then how you package the deal. So most people aren't really clear on how to package the deal. And I go all the way through to how to exit, how to sell the company. And in the appendix, I have due diligence checklists. I interviewed family offices, VCs, angel investors, kind of the best of the best people out there to make it really practical and hands on.
0: You know, back to something you said earlier, that, that investors are looking for those opportunities, looking for that next big thing that they can put their money into. And sometimes those of us on this side are thinking, well, do they really want something new? You know, are, are they willing to give us their money? Oh, yeah. You know, and that's, that's kind of a different mindset.
1: Yeah, it is. And, you know, I was raised, uh, my dad retired from the military. I don't think I ever met a millionaire until I was an adult, let let alone, you know, I've got now many friends that are billionaires. And and I didn't understand this. I mean, I grew up when you were told, you know, get a good degree, Mm -hmm. get a job, work hard. Uh, don't ask questions. People will notice. And I found out, you know, people didn't notice. And mm. when I started in this other world, I was shocked about right. how much money was out there. And literally, I have people calling me every week wanting to hear about deals I've seen.
0: Wow. So let's get into the three C's. So I really was fascinated by, you know, by this. As you start kind of start out by saying, you know, there are three things that uh, I'm just going to read the read the chapter title. It's chapter two in your book. The three C's that investors seek and the deal breakers that will make them run. So you you said it's character, confidence, and coachability. Yes. Why? Why? Well,
1: the first one is coachability because you have to understand the investor is betting on you; they're investing in you, uh, and this isn't you know fund you forget you that that doesn't mm-hmm. happen. And particularly with angels who want to coach you, and they're typically very very successful. They've had positive exits, and that's where they've got their money. And so the first time you walk into a thing, and you are a pitch event or whatever. Uh, angel investor, uh, and you come across as arrogant or as a know-it-all, uh, you're done. Hmm. Because nobody, you know, that just shows a kind of a, a character flaw. Uh, Because the most dangerous thing, as you know, Conrad, is uh, not knowing what you don't know. And so people, all investors, want to work with people who are coachable, who will listen to them. And, you know, if you're going to take my money, um, I'd like to be able to give you some input and have you listen. So that one is probably the, the top one. Out there, I, I just uh, did a short little video interview with a, a new VC in Salt Lake, uh, Kimmy and, and Sergio Polak of um, Beta Boom VC, hmm. and that was number one on their list. You know, the wow. yeah, people have to be coachable.
0: So, when they're looking for to to invest in someone's project or a new business, they're that's the first thing they look for.
1: Well, it is on. uh, Yeah. Well, I don't know that it's absolutely the first, you know, so they're going to do due diligence. They're going to make sure that you have uh, a solid market because the bigger the market, the more return there is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's great to know that you've got traction. And if those things are kind of in place, and, and you've, you've done well, but you know in that process of due diligence, they're gonna look really hard and, and look at your character. And part of that is, are you arrogant or, or a know-it-all? And part of the piece that I roll into character, and this comes from uh, the fellow who was known as the lion of entrepreneurism at Harvard, Howard Stevenson, and he wrote this nice little book on how to teach people how to invest as an angel investor. And he had a word of warning, and he said, the first time you hear an exaggeration, a white lie, don't walk, run away from the deal, Mm. you'll lose all of your money. So often, some of the mistakes I see is, you know, people are so excited about their Kool-Aid, how wonderful their Kool-Aid is, (laughs) and they will exaggerate. They'll say, oh my gosh, if I just got one half of 1% of the Chinese market, we'll be worth a billion dollars next year. Mm. Well, you know, Facebook wasn't worth a billion dollars in a year. Right. And, uh, you know, my other one I love is, um, and and I hear this fairly frequently, there's no competition. Well, if there's no competition, there's no market. And there's always competition. And there's, you know, if you've got an idea, somebody else around the world is probably – got something similar. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is confidence. And it takes confidence to be able to find customers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it takes a fair amount of confidence to, to get up in front of um, these groups and pitch. And, and I tell people, you know, no worries. You are their solution. You know, you're you're the solution to their problem of finding a good deal. And then I share um, a, a little thing that I learned when I became CEO of a small biotech uh, public company. I walked around the house for a couple of months going, I can't be the CEO of a public company. What am I thinking of? And my PR guy at the time took me aside and said, Judy, when I worked for Ogilvy, they asked me to do a training film and act, you know, play the part of a CEO. And he said, I liked it so well, I went and got an agent. But every mm-hmm. time I applied for a part, I got turned down. So his agent sent him to this character actor who made him twice a day walk around the house and say out loud, I am perfect for the part. Mm-hmm. And and I can tell you, Conrad, that works. I, I've done that mm-hmm. on, you know, before my first TED talk when I was shivering in my boots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that works. And so. Uh, Having confidence is is important. And there's a VC that is in California that I I heard say, you know, if you can't figure out how to get to me, you can't figure out how to get a customer, I'm not going to fund you.
0: Hmm. Is there a fine line between confidence and arrogance?
1: You know, I I think I don't know that it is so fine. I I think if you acknowledge when you, you don't know something and you'll get back to people, that if somebody gives you some input, you thank them and and say, you know, I'll really look into that and and apply that in our business model. Uh, Those things certainly come across that you're coachable and not arrogant, Mm -hmm. but you can still, you know, be confident.
0: Sure. Sure. So I, so recently I finished the book by Donald Miller building a story brand. I I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's an amazing, just look at branding and marketing and, and he said something in here, you know, we need to simplify your message so that yep. the, the listener really totally understands what you're selling them. And I think when it comes to maybe pitching to an investor, you need to be very clear in what you're wanting to accomplish, right?
1: Absolutely, and and I'll give you an example. So I used to sit on the University of Utah's tech transfer committee, and I would hear pitches and, and oftentimes from physicians. And I would tell people, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor. And sure enough, you know, we have a doctor come in and he spends the first 20 minutes of his 30 minutes talking about what we call the MOA, the mechanism of action. He's going through uh, molecular structures, all kinds of stuff I don't understand. And I stopped him and I said, you know, you need to be able to tell me in one sentence what this does. And he looked at me and he said, you know, it's too complex. I said, how about it fixes a hole in the heart? Hmm. And, and it did, and so, and it takes a lot of work, Sure, uh, and I'm sure Don Miller um, in the book talks about, you know, it, it's much like, I can't remember whether it was Teddy Roosevelt, no, I think it was Mark Twain that said, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time, hmm. so you have to spend a lot of time and effort thinking about what do you do in, in one sentence, have a, a simple not a simplified, but a, a simple message that anyone can can understand. And, and I tell people that it's good before you ever go to uh, an angel pitch or a pitch event that if you meet up with another entrepreneur who's been successful, um, angel investor, and most of them are very gracious and will help you, and review everything with them so they can point out, you know, you need to work here a little bit or this is gonna be problematic. You know, it's, I'm in
0: the film business and we're in the process of uh, producing a script for a new film that we're working on. And it's hard work to narrow it down to one sentence. Yes. You know, really and, and it, it just takes, it takes a lot of time, a lot of thought, a lot of energy to do that. And we're in that process right now of really drilling down, okay, what is the heart of this story? What is so that when we come to a potential investor, we can say that in one sentence. This is what the story is about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- and
0: I think you know with a company with a business, I mean, I don't know how Mark Zuckerberger, you know, kind of pitched his first thing, but uh, I'm sure he had it down to one phrase, one sentence that made investors say, yeah, I can I, I can see that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, there's all of these stories out there. There's a, a guy that uh, was a, a a lawyer, and um, he called one of his friends and said, you know, there's this guy here in Seattle, and he's got this idea to sell books online. And um, he said, I'm not sure it's going to work, but I've thought about how many times I've got into the bricks and mortar uh, bookstores trying to find a, a, a late night a gift hmm. for the next day and couldn't find it. And he said, you know, I think I'm going to throw in 50,000. And both gentlemen did. And, and I think that turned into something like 250 million.
0: Wow. So what is a uh, maybe a deal that didn't work out for you that you kind of used to look back at and say, okay, what went wrong here? What happened?
1: Um, sure. So I can tell you a group that I, I worked with very, very hard. They had their pitch right, their financials right. Uh, I had them in front of uh, the one of the best angel groups out there. And I had told the founder, um, if he was asked what the valuation of the company was, to say three million, which it was at the time, the average valuation. Um, he stood up and, and said it was six million, mm. and, and that killed the deal right wow. right off the bat. So you know, you need to do your your uh, background and, and make sure right now it's it's roughly seven million, uh, and it, it's silly to be greedy. You know, mm-hmm. argue about. 26% versus 30% of your equity is silly if you pencil out the uh, the number um, at the end of uh, the day. And, and I'll tell you about one that I helped turn around. A, a doctor from Park City had invented a permanent contraceptive device. She had been turned down uh, by all the local angels, early stage VCs. And I said to her, you know, we need to get you out of Dodge. You're a woman and you're not uh, Mormon, and I can say that because I'm half Mormon and half Southern Baptist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a combination.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. And I did a DNA test and just found out I'm half Jewish. So oh, wow. you know, I'm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I took her to uh, San Francisco and Boston. Uh, she got a half a million in Boston and sold the company for millions. And so part of it is working with people and, and really understanding where the right investor is. But I've had a couple of you know kind of miserable Failures because the, the people didn't listen. Mm. Uh, they acted like they were going to listen right until they got in front of in, investors. On the other hand, um, you know I've had just some amazing successes. I've brought a, a company from Belgrade to the United States. We have offices at Rockefeller Plaza. Mm. Distinct uh, their their first deal. Uh, the gentleman is a very bright entrepreneur. He's already had several exits, including an IPO, and he listens and learns, and, and it's been interesting bringing a company outside the United States. So at one point, one of his uh, partners came to New York, and and he wanted me to go to meetings with him. Well, this, this guy's really articulate, PhD in mathematical modeling, good-looking. He's from Russia, fluent in English. So I go to this meeting, and I said, Sergey, you didn't need me there at all. The meeting went well. And he said, well, it did go well, but I've got a question. Who's Walgreens?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So, you know, thinking of these three character traits that are in chapter two, character confidence and coachability, it seems like those are also the character traits that a young person needs when they're coming out of college or getting started in their career. They're looking for that first big job or gig you know, I think they're, they're pitching themselves, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and, and this is important. And, uh, you know, I once wrote an article for an employment uh, magazine and I said, you know, when you go into an interview, I want you to look at that person in the eyes and pretend they're your best friend, hmm. you know, really focus on listening. Uh, and, and, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're all, I think somebody said we're all selling something all of our lives. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, uh, you, you keep bringing up the word listening. And uh, last week I had an interview with Pat Mulroy. I don't know if you know who she is, but she is, she she was a former head of the Southern Nevada Water Authority. And she's a leading expert in the world on water and water issues. And she helped negotiate some of the big things on the Colorado River with uh, Nevada and Arizona and some states that were, you know, battling some water issues. And she said that one of the biggest things in negotiation that you can do that you need to do that you must do is listen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of uh, Peter Drugger, Drucker's uh, quotes that I really like is, uh, you know, true listening is hearing what's not being said. Hmm. And I, I tell people to listen with their, their ears, their eyes and their heart.
0: Yeah, it, it's those nonverbal things, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You can hear a change in tone. You can see people look down, look, look sad. Um, and and so it's really in, important to listen and really hear the other person's point of view to a, a, a point that you think you can't stand to listen anymore. Uh, and that's how the really good negotiators, you know, whether it's, you know, trying to talk a guy off a bridge or uh, somebody that's holding a, a hostage. Um, and, and that's how they really uh, work is, you know, get down to kind of the the soul. What what is really important in that person? So often behind the barrage of of angry words and and threats, you know, there's real concerns that you can figure out how to work together.
0: Hmm. So you know, one other thing that you're really good at, and that's networking.
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you and we've connected because of networking. And so tell us a little bit about how that is important in. You know even pitching yourself or pitching your idea or your business to investors or just getting a new job
1: yeah so so i think strategic networking is probably one of the most critical skills you can ever have and nothing happens without people conrad people know the deals the jobs they write the checks everything happens through other people and i often say you know there's no lack of resources 279 trillion of dollars 7.4 billion people Uh, can't count how many ideas, information doubling all the time, but it's all connected to a person. So it's really important to get in the right room. And so I grew up shy, was uh, bullied in, in school. I didn't dare, you know, hardly talk to anybody. And in the corporate world, I looked around and I could see that, Behind the org chart, there was a whole different power structure, and and Mm. research shows it's 5% in any organization that have the the power, the gravitas, the influence to make things happen. And so I actually read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence Mm. People, started saying hello using their name, and geez, I found out people did like to talk to me. And I thought I was shy, but half of us think we're shy and only 12% of the population really is. So it's an issue of Mm self-worth. And uh, so um, I just decided I was going to get to the point I could talk to anyone anywhere and I can. And, And part of that was getting outside of my fear and just focusing on that person in front of me, realizing they're another human being. Um, everybody, as long as you're alive, has got problems. And, and I figured out quickly how I could add value. And so that has led me to places I would have never dreamed. I, I've been invited to private fintech conferences at the White House. I've been at, you know, a couple of royal palaces. And, and part of it is I really believe um, in being generous. So research shows when you approach a stranger the first thing you look for is, you know, are they a good person, a kind person? You don't want somebody who's going to kill you. Uh, and we're pretty good, you know, as as we age on on assessing character. And, and the second one is a level of competency. But I always add the third, generosity, because just because someone can help you doesn't mean they will. Right. And, you know, there's that dark triad, Machiavellian, sociopath, narcissistic, you know, like the dude at the White House. <laughs> That's probably... I mean, 5% of people on on the planet have got serious, serious problems, Mm -hmm. but you just say next. And one of my favorite quotes is Oprah, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. Mm -hmm. So I became really adept at networking, figured out everybody's got a problem and that by making an introduction, sharing uh, a report, recommending a book, you know, inviting them somewhere that I can add value very quickly. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think that last part is very important just to add value Uh, just recently I had, uh, I was reached out to by a company who was needing a video produced for their company. And I mean, long story short, I didn't win the bid, but I really liked this company and I want to continue or have a relationship with them in some way. So after they sent me the email that I didn't win the bid, I sent them a gift. I got online and ordered a gift basket and I said, Hey, thank you so much for, just allowing me to have the privilege of bidding on this project. And I th- you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, nothing happened yet f- from that, but you never know. And I think it's so important to, to, to do those kind of things that are kind of surprise things that add value to a relationship.
1: Yeah. And you're speaking, so Steve Rulin, that I could introduce you to for your podcast, wrote the book Giftology. And it's about gifting. And, you know, when I didn't have a platform with my first book, you know, I tried really hard to get someone to interview me. Finally, when someone did, I made a batch of homemade fudge and I sent it to the lady. And she called me on the phone and she said, Judy, you know, 99% of the people don't even say thank you. <laughs> let alone doing something like this. So then I had the fudge list. Mm. And uh, <laughs> she said to me, by the way, I know other podcasters. And, and that was helpful. And just recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewed on my first live TV in New York at Yahoo Finance. Mm. Um, and, and I sent them a bouquet of flowers, a, a large one. Nice. Uh, because I know the producers know each other, and and I was so grateful because I did well enough on that clip uh, that I'm going to be on Fox Mornings with Maria um, wow. April second. A little frightening, but uh, <laughs> you know, you just you and you're absolutely right. If you're gracious and just go the extra mile, um, it is amazing. And and I bet Conrad, you will hear back from them.
0: Uh, you know, I hope so. But uh, e- even if I don't, it, it made me feel good to do yeah. that. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, the world needs more of that kind of thing is for not, you know, shouting at each other, but we're doing good for each other. Yeah. What are some things, what's what's the one thing that in all the business deals that you've made and been a part of, what's the one big life lesson that you kind of as a takeaway from all those?
1: You know, probably that uh, nothing is, is really impossible i I mean as i've grown and taken more risks uh got out of my comfort zone and continue to do that i'm i'm amazed that the resources will show up so one of my favorite quotes is you've got to shake the apple tree hard to get the apples to fall but it's never the tree you shake that they fall from (laughs) uh and it's like you have to get out there and sweaty and and bloody and then things happen. Um, and and I guess probably the bottom thing that always comes up to me is it's about good people. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, there's a, enough really good people on the planet that if you can get in the right room and, and get to a few of those people, you can make almost anything happen.
0: Wow. Well, Judy, I really appreciate you coming on the program today and talking about... These things tell tell us where we can reach you, where we can buy the book, where we can connect with you, and things like that.
1: Sure. So, my uh, book, I'm really proud to say, is an international bestseller now. Congratulations. And, and it's uh, on Amazon. You can find me on my website, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or you can email me, judy at com with no E in the end.
0: Well, that's very generous of you, and I wish you all the success in the world, and as you, as this book makes its way around the world, and I will be sure to uh, share share it with people and let people know about it and where they can find that. Thank you. It's
1: been great to be here.
0: Well, I really appreciate it. Thanks, Judy, for spending time with me on today's program. I really appreciate it. Hey, if you enjoy these podcasts, be sure to go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. That really helps me to know if what I'm doing here is worth it. And a five-star review just makes my day. On the show next time, we'll hear an interview with Paul Xavier. Paul runs a company that helps video producers make more money. We'll hear Paul's story as he left his secure job as a government contractor in recruiting and software development to start his own company. He'll tell us about the challenges he faced and what he did to reach the level of success that he's experiencing. That's coming next week on the My Story podcast. The My Story Podcast is produced by Conjo Studios, an award-winning video production company whose focus is helping you tell your story. Visit ConjoStudios.com, click on the blue get a quote button, and let them know what you need. Then watch your stress melt away as their team does the magic of producing your next video or film project. That's ConjoStudios.com, telling stories that matter last, if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on the My Story Podcast.